sorry. It'll get better after that, but I promise you. Yeah, he's not very well today, so I'm standing in for him. And uh, well, a very warm welcome to everyone here, and especially if you're here as a visitor, if you're here for the first or second time, it's great to see you all. I'm going to start with a few notices. The first notice is Jesus is Lord. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus is Lord. We're going to meet up with him this morning. <laughs> Quick run through the notices to, before, because I want to do them before the children leave us. Uh, the offering is either in this box here or in the two boxes on the way out. Uh, if you could do that when you are leaving or in the middle of the service, that's great. Uh, on Monday, tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. at St. James's, if prison walls could speak, it's a true story about the persecuted church drama, five pounds admission. Ray's funeral is on Tuesday, that's at 1 p.m. at the cemetery chapel, and afterwards there will be refreshments here, downstairs. If you're going to come to the refreshments, please could you put your name on the list on the clipboard at the back. And on Thursday the 3rd, this week, between 10 and 12 downstairs, we're going to have a come and warm session. You're going to come and have a cup of coffee, meet up with your friends, there'll be somewhere warm to come to. Uh, just for CCF and friends at the moment, we're going to try that for a few weeks, and if we get plenty of interest, then we'll open it up to the local community, etc. On next Sunday, I promise this is nearly the last notice, next Sunday is a shoebox service, which is downstairs at 10.30. And on the 19th of November, there is the Tear Fund Big Quiz, which is a pie and pea supper provided by... Colin. <laughs> so it's going to be an excellent night. Um, there's a list at the back, I'll see David, and it's £10 suggested donation, but David said pay what you think the night is worth. So it depends on the quality of the food, mate, really. <laughs> might be too quick, you never know. But that's on the 19th, uh, uh, downstairs here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst of them. And so we welcome you here this morning through the power of your spirit, that you are here amongst us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We invite you here, Holy Spirit, to flow, to flow through this meeting, to have your way, to bring the kingdom of God further into the kingdom of darkness. And Paul wrote in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And so not rejoicing in circumstances, but rejoicing in God, but even Paul had a time when he could not rejoice. So if there's somebody here who feels, I can't rejoice in you, Lord, today, remember what happened to Paul when he was before the Sanhedrin court in Jerusalem. Jesus came and stood beside him and said, be of good cheer. So even in the worst circumstances, if you feel that you can't rejoice in the Lord, the Lord is beside you. Amen. When I was praying about these songs, the Lord gave me them about two or three weeks ago. And I was sitting in the coffee shop and I said, oh, just a minute. I said, God's given me two songs. <laughs> and so I wrote them down and then I was somewhere else. Oh, just a minute. I'll just write this down. And that's how the Lord has given me these songs. But it's amazing what's been happening over the last few weeks because we've been talking about harvest. And you know, when we think of harvest, we think of the farmers bringing in all the crops and everything like that. 
But we've been hearing about the harvest of souls, haven't we? We've been hearing about people coming back to the Lord. And all these songs are based around that, really. And I thought, Lord, you're just amazing. You know, we don't plan it, but he does. And as we sing this morning, just take notice of the words that you're singing. You know, it's like, hear the sound of hearts returning to you. Come, ye thankful people, come. Raise the song of harvest home. It's a harvest hymn that I used to sing when I was a little girl. And I also thought it was all to do with the fruit and veg, but it wasn't. When we read the words of these songs, they're all about bringing the people in. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. We want to be available for him to use us for his glory to bring his people in. So I'm going to ask Joe to blow the shofar first. And then we're going to sing a really old, 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 old chorus that we used to sing years and years and years ago. But you probably remember it. And oh, we've got John as well, so we're going to have them both. Praise the Lord for this. Great. Right. A double portion, that's right, a double portion. Okay. So we've got them on either side. morning lift up those holy hands let all God's people praise the Lord can you remember this one <laughs>
people loved them. Raise the song of harvest home.
I don't know whether this is right or not, but when we were singing that song, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 came to my mind. The Lord said to Joshua, the battle is not mine, it is your, it's yours, it's mine, says the Lord. Send out the singers and the praises, the music players. And the, they did this, and the battle was won. They didn't have to do anything, and they just went and picked up all the um, things that were left. And Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for that. Yeah. When we sing and praise you, Lord, the enemy is routed.
give you all the glory, Lord. We give you all the glory. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and majesty. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. You are Lord. Thanks to everyone who shared. Ian, would you like to come forward, please? This is my brother Ian. He's now an elder. Lord Jesus, we've already had a feast in your presence. You've laid a table for us in your presence. And now here comes the main course. Lord God, would you anoint my brother Ian's words, his lips, as he brings your word to life and brings the word in season for us in this fellowship, in this church, and in this city. For your own name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Good morning. Good to see you all. Ah, we have slides. Excellent. Um, I had the theme of this talk quite some some time ago, when the Lord just gave me those few words there, half a dozen words, made in the image of God. And I thought, wow. And as you all know, that comes from Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image. And in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That's said three times in two verses. So I thought, well, that, that must be important. So I'd like to, to spend a few hours, sorry, minutes this morning, uh, exploring what is meant by that word image. A common understanding um, of the word image these days is that it's a visual representation of something, a likeness of an object, like a photograph, or these days a digital picture on an electronic display. It won't surprise you to hear, of course, that that's not the sort of image that's being spoken of here in Scripture. We don't have a visual picture of God. I think I'd be a bit disappointed, but perhaps rather flattered, if the creator of all things looked like me. <laughs> so that's not what he means. A better definition is found when searching for what is the image of a person and why is it important? Your image reflects who you are. Not only your personality and your lifestyle, but also your values and goals. It is a representation of you to others. So God's image reflects who he is, his personality, his character, his values and his desires. We are made in his image. One verse further on, in Genesis 1.28, it tells us what it means. 
by being made in his image at that time in that context. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created humankind to be his representatives and rule over the earth. Many scholars draw a parallel between the image of God in Genesis and the images of kings in the ancient world. In the ancient world, such kings couldn't be everywhere at once. Travel was slow. You didn't have photographs. You didn't have the internet. And so kings would make monuments and statues of themselves to remind the people who was ruling in that place. But instead of creating monuments and statues, God made us in his image as his representatives. Humankind, created on the sixth day, has a unique role in being God's kingly representatives in creation. Unlike earthly kings, we've been specifically commanded by God not to make images or physical idols. That's because he can't be represented by such things. He is distinct and above all he has created. He has made us to be a living image of him. Psalm 8 is a wonderful psalm, and these few verses summarise of what image of God means. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This psalm speaks of the high status of humankind. In verse 5, we're spoken of as a little lower than God. The psalm clearly shows that humankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. There is nothing in creation that has a higher status than humanity. However, there's always a but, isn't there? As we all know, the image of God in humanity was marred by the fall as sin entered the human condition. Humankind could no longer represent God as he intended. So moving on a few thousand years to the New Testament, the New Testament portrays Jesus as the ultimate image bearer of God. Jesus fully reflects God and he is the true representation of God and his creation. No one embodies more truly, more fully, sorry, this truly human quality. Jesus is like us in every way. Hebrews 2 verses 16 and 17 says for surely it is not angels that he helps but Abraham's descendants that's us folks for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people Jesus is the ultimate human because everything is under his authority. The high status of humanity as God's royal image bearers is fully realised in Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Son of God. Jesus is the true <laughs> image bearer. 
You might say that Jesus is the only truly and fully human figure who has ever lived. By looking at the crucified and risen Christ, we see what human really means. Not the marred, incomplete version that is subject to sin in all of us. By faith in Christ, we too can participate in restored humanity. I have these next verses for a little while. I've been preparing this for a little while, going back to it, tinkering with it. Um, but Ron actually read these verses during the breaking of bread. Colossians 15, 1, 15 to 20 makes the point in a different way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the image of God. He rules creation because all things were created by him. As the resurrected Son, Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and the firstborn from among the dead. By his resurrection, Jesus is the first to embody fully the image-bearing role conferred on all humanity in Genesis before the fall, which was marred by, then marred by sin. The true image of God is only realised in the crucified and risen Son of God. In his resurrection, Jesus restores those verses in Genesis for us. As Son, Jesus is the newly appointed Davidic King, the representative ruler, but Jesus takes it up a notch. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, Hebrews 1.3. No photograph, no digital image can be an exact representation. There will always be some compromise. We won't have anybody that knows about photography. There is a limit in the number of light levels that you can display and so on. In a digital image, you, it's made up of pixels. Each pixel has a finite size. There's a limit to the amount of detail that we can see. But Jesus is the exact representation. The full image bearer of God. The incarnate Son was fully human and is fully divine. He is the most human of any human who has ever lived. God's image we carry is marred by sin. But by faith, we too can participate in the restored humanity we were designed to be. All those who are in Christ participate in the restored humanity that began at Jesus' resurrection. This new humanity is open to all, but the entry is through the risen Messiah. This is by grace, what we say and believe, 
not what we do. Romans 10.9, which Alan read last week, says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just in case. If any of you have never made such a declaration, that includes anybody that might see this later, please do something about it now. Don't delay. Don't miss out on what God has for you. And from that point on, we are called to bear the true image of God. So what does it mean for us to be image bearers of God? It means that we are called to live daily in such a way that embodies more and more what that image looks like, which is Jesus. Jesus is the cause of our renewed image. Through faith, we are a new creation. He is also the model we follow as we seek to live his way, guided and helped by the Holy Spirit. We bear the renewed image of God daily as our lives conform to Jesus. Believers are now full representatives of God in his creation, but not just in the Old Testament sense of ruler anymore. The emphasis in the New Testament is to represent God like Jesus does, to all creation through humility, love and holiness. We are reminded of this in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 12. You, we, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we, you, as Peter's writing to us, but I'm going to say we, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, that's in the world context, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans, sadly that's everybody else, that through, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God. Wow. This high status doesn't just make us part of God's club. Our lives are to be witnesses to others. Our behaviour is to be excellent. And we are to live out such good lives that those who are not yet believers will glorify God because of our good deeds. That's what this says. This is a lofty goal, attainable only with the help of Holy Spirit, of course. As day by day, he makes he helps us become more like Christ. Romans 8.29 starts with, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We represent to the world what God has done in Christ. So we need to be careful how we act. We may be 
the only Jesus others ever see. <coughs> so this goes beyond what Genesis 1.27 is about in its original context. Jesus takes it and transforms it, fills it out beyond its limited Old Testament meaning of just rulers. The shadow gives way to reality. God made humanity in his image. This image has a focus meaning in the Old Testament with God's representative rulers over his creation. That image was marred by the fall and then restored and transformed in Jesus. Son of Man and the exact representation of the image of God. Those who are in Christ, that's you and me, take part in this new humanity. So take time each day to ask God that through His Holy Spirit you may, we may become more and more like Jesus and more faithfully display His image to others. Thanks so much, Ian. Chosen people, holy nation, royal priesthood, belonging to God. That's who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and forever. <coughs> Amen.